Ryan, thank you. I am so glad that that was a message for the kids. I'm sure that none of the adults could relate to that at all. But the truth is, uh, this is a stormy season. We are in a stormy season, and we definitely need an anchor. So we're gathering this morning, and we are facing uncertainty. But as Ryan has reminded us, thankfully, relationship with Jesus is just what we need to face those uncertainties. Jesus is the one that makes the difference in our lives as we move forward in relationship together with him in a time of uncertainty. Now, I want to go over some things that are causing that uncertainty, and I'm not doing that for anything other than good information. I believe that the church should uh, be the disseminators of truth. So part of our uncertainty is this pandemic. The pandemic continues, and sadly, it is rising rapidly in San Antonio to Austin in the corridor between. I just got a notice from our public health service that hospitalization in San Antonio has quadrupled in the past four weeks. That is scary. So our public health official is somebody that I listen to, I read, and these are some things that we all need to know. We're in the red zone. And our community uh, didn't want to reach the, the red zone. That means danger. Uh, red zone means we have reached a dangerous level of infection. Our positivity rate, which means the positive cases of COVID divided by the total number of cases has increased from 3.5% after business reopening, which was just uh, in May, to 8.5% in Comal County. That's a very significant rise. The rise of positivity in Texas overall is to 12%. That's what prompted our governor to close the bars and to close our rivers uh, and to limit businesses back to 50%. Comal County has a current percentage rate of increase of 407% since June 2nd. Comal County is doubling uh, in, in the number of infections every eight days. That's what puts us into the red zone. The age group of 20 to 29 sadly has a 720% increase since June 2nd. Whoa, there's uncertainty. So the best advice that uh, our, our health officials are saying is stay home when you can. When you go out, wear a mask, keep washing your hands and keep some social distance. We can all do that as part of the solution. I wish that it's just the pandemic that added to our uncertainty, but our, our economy continues to falter as well. Uh, it's likely gonna be a slow recovery. This week, another 1.5 million people filed for unemployment. Those unemployed this week included white collar workers, which means the economic crisis is deepening. The total number of unemployed in the U.S. right now is 47 million people. That is a staggering number, especially when you consider it's only been in a four-month period that people have been unemployed. 
That's the highest rate of unemployment since the Great Depression, which was in the late 1920s and early 1930s. And if it wasn't enough to have the uncertainty of the pandemic and the uncertainty of the economic downturn and unemployment, our nation is again faced with the ignorance and the horror of racism in a nation with a declaration of independence. Our declaration of independence declares, guarantees equality for all human beings in the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. These are our founding fathers considered to be unalienable rights which were given to every human being by the creator. And then government was created to protect those rights. Well, right now, our government is failing to protect life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness equally for all in America. So I want you to listen. Listen for information. Listen with compassion. These are some fat, sad facts that go along with the uncertainty of our day. A study by John Hopkins Institute suggests all minorities in the U.S. are suffering disproportionately with COVID-19 infections and death. One example, in Milwaukee County, Wisconsin, 70% of the COVID deaths are black Americans who only make up 26% of the population of that county. As black Americans are disproportionately affected by COVID-19, so they are impacted in a greater number with unemployment. From a record high unemployment rate of 14.7% in April, unemployment declined in May to 13.3%. We wanted to celebrate that. However, if you dig a little bit deeper, the decline was only a drop for white workers, 12.4%, while black unemployment rose to 16.8%. It's disproportionate. And then all Americans are not equally impacted by the pandemic or the current unemployment and at the same time black Americans are not at times equally protected by the police. We've all witnessed the heartless murder of George Floyd under the knee of a police officer. I was so grateful for the New Braunfels police chief and then the Comal County Sheriff to both state publicly that Mr. Floyd's death was a murder and totally unacceptable police practice. Too many black Americans live in fear, however, of mistreatment by the police. So what is going to be our response to these challenges in uncertain times? Ryan has given us a place of hope. Yes, we have an anchor. That anchor is to keep us steady, keep us from blowing against, crashing against the rocks, are being blown out to sea. But what are we to do? How are we going to put our collective faith in Jesus to work? I would suggest that this is the time for the church to embrace and to embrace wholeheartedly the ministry of reconciliation. Alexander Ventor, in his book, Doing Reconciliation, asked this question. Is racism, reconciliation, and transformation of both the individual and the nation an issue? Is reconciliation, racism, 
transformation an issue? Now, here are some options. You can answer one of these four ways. You can answer more than that, but just listen to these four. A, racism, reconciliation, transformation is not an issue for the church. Let government fix it. Or B, it is an issue, but let's not overblow it. It's just a small issue. Or C, it is an issue, but we just need to leave things alone. You don't want to stir things up. Or D, it is an issue to be addressed by the church because of the ministry of reconciliation. Now, I am really curious to know your answer. So would you, would you be brave enough to post a letter, the letter that comes closest to what your answer would be if we were having a conversation face-to-face? Post A, B, C, D on Facebook Live right now. Your feedback is really important to me as I consider what we as a community need to be doing in this day of uncertainty. So A, not an issue. Racism, reconciliation, transfer, not an issue for the church. Let, let the government do it. B, it's an issue, but let's not overblow it. It's not as big as it seems, a small thing. C, it's an issue, but we just need to leave it alone, don't stir the pot. Or D, it is an issue to be addressed by the church because of the ministry of reconciliation. Take a moment, type in a letter, That'd be helpful to me to know where our community stands. And as you provide that feedback, I want you to know what I believe. My response is D. I believe the church has been given a mandate from Jesus to continue his ministry of reconciliation generation by generation until he returns. I believe our generation desperately needs a church that embraces its calling and gives itself wholeheartedly to the ministry of reconciliation. Let me define what I mean by reconciliation by quoting from a South African pastor, Trevor, who worked with another South African pastor, Alexander, between the two cities of Johannesburg and Soweto. Trevor wrote, Reconciliation is all about treating people properly. It's never easy. It requires heart and faith. Reconciliation is not an intellectual or academic exercise. It is an exercise in genuine love. It is about emotional and spiritual encounter. Authentic reconciliation is not and can never be emotionally neutral or spiritually detached. It often exposes deep hurt and brings about cathartic release. You can never control reconciliation in a clinical and intellectual manner because it is the process of people finding each other in the mystery of forgiveness and relationship. Reconciliation logically implies that you allow your heart to be broken and then healed, or you can harden your heart and further multiply hatred and resentment. What applies in daily familial and other relationships also applies to the apparent complexities and enormity 
of politics and group reconciliation. As you consider that quote, I want to encourage our community to engage in the ministry of reconciliation. But to do that, I want to answer a foundational question. Why do reconciliation? I want to answer that question with an overview of three answers I find in 2 Corinthians 5. The first answer to the question, why do reconciliation, we explored last week in 2 Corinthians 5, 5 to 10. Paul writes, The Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little of heaven in our hearts so that we can never settle for less. That's why we live with such good cheer. You don't see us drooping our heads or dragging our feet. Cramped conditions here don't get us down. They only remind us of the spacious living conditions ahead. It's what we trust in, but don't yet see that keeps us going. Do you suppose a few ruts in the road or rocks in the path are going to stop us? When the time comes, we'll be plenty ready to exchange exile for homecoming. But neither exile nor homecoming is the main thing. Cheerfully pleasing God is the main thing. And that's what we aim to do, regardless of our conditions. When the Holy Spirit gives us a taste of what is ahead, that means he's giving us a taste of the age that is coming. Not the present age. He gives us a taste of what's ahead. When he does that, we can never settle for less than complete restoration and reconciliation. We pursue reconciliation with God, with one another, and with all of creation. And we do that because we aim to please God. It pleases God when we participate in reconciliation. Now, Paul doesn't write this, but I think it's fair to turn it around to this statement. If we choose to resist participation in reconciliation, it displeases God. It's a continuation of the way things are in a fallen world. It's not what the world is going to experience when Jesus returns. Aim to please God. That's why we do reconciliation. A second answer to the question, why do reconciliation, follows in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Sooner or later, we'll all have to face God. Regardless of our conditions, we will appear before Christ and take what's coming to us as a result of our actions, either good or bad. So let's keep vigilant. It's no light thing to know that we'll all one day stand in that place of judgment. Now I know the idea of judgment makes a little, we get a little bit nervous about that. But, but the fact is, the truth is, all of us are individually accountable to Jesus for how we put our faith into action. Jesus is going to ask us one day 
to account for our activities. Now listen carefully. How did we put our Bible studies to work in the uncertainties of our day? He's not going to ask us, oh, how did the Bible study go? How well did you get to know the Bible? He's going to ask us, what did you do with what I told you in the Bible? How, how did we put our Bible study to work in the uncertainties of our day? I think he's also going to ask, did our prayers focus on our personal, individual, and at times petty needs? Or did we risk praying for peace and justice on the earth? And then work, work. It's hard work. Reconciliation is work toward a realization of peace and justice. He's going to ask us, did you feed and clothe strangers or did you live in fear of them? Did you build walls or did you tear them down? How did you reconcile with your black, Hispanic, Asian, and native neighbors? It's a time for action before we visit Jesus face to face because he's definitely going to ask us to account for our participation in his work of reconciliation. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be embarrassed on that day. I would rather hear, well done, good and faithful servant, than uh, there's a place for you outside the door. Finally, third answer to the question, why do reconciliation? Again, in 2 Corinthians 5, Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and last word in everything we do. It's the love of Christ that compels us. That love can be both objective and subjective. So he loves us. We're the object of his affection. And because that love is a love that brought us reconciled in a relationship with him, his love for us moves us to do reconciliation. We also love Jesus, and that love for him directs us to love our neighbors and be reconciled with them as far as it depends upon us. So why do reconciliation? We aim to please Jesus by participating, continuing his ministry of reconciliation. We respect Jesus and know that one day he will ask us to account for our participation in the ministry of reconciliation with our family and neighbors. Finally, we do reconciliation because we love Jesus And that love compels us in our participation in the ministry of reconciliation. Now, as you consider that, I really just have one thing to ask. Are we as a community ready to say yes to the ministry of reconciliation? Are we ready to say yes and get busy addressing areas that need reconciliation? You see, this isn't just 
Scott's deal. This isn't just Susan's deal or Kathy's deal. This isn't just one family's deal. This is an invitation that the Holy Spirit is extending, not just to River City Vineyard, but the church worldwide. Are we going to do ministry, the ministry of reconciliation, or are we going to forsake it? Now, as you, as you consider that yes, I want to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. I'm going to ask him to come, and we're just going to pause for a moment. Let him speak to your heart. What is he saying to you? Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I believe you're trying to mobilize the church in our day to be the solution to the problems of uncertainty that we're faced with. We don't want to be part of the problem. Come, Holy Spirit. How do we respond to this invitation? Is it a yes? Or is it a not yet? What's in our heart? What's in our mind? So the last thing I'd like you to do, if you sense that within you is a yes, yes, I, I want to be equipped and I want to move forward as a church community together. We want to move out in the ministry of reconciliation. Would you post yes on our Facebook Live page? At the same time, if it's a, I'm not sure, not yet. That would be the response, not yet. I'm not ready yet. Would you post that? It's okay to post that as well. Again, I, I just need some feedback from our community as we move forward. Yes or not yet? Jesus, thank you that you are the anchor in the storm. And thank you as the, as the storm rages around us, as there is uncertainty. Thank you that you're the same yesterday and today and forevermore. We hold on to you, and at the same time, we want to do what you would ask us to do. We want you to do through us what you want to do. And I believe, O oh Lord, that you want to extend the ministry and the message of reconciliation through us, your people, those that know you, those that follow you, those that are called the church. Lead us, Lord, in your name. Amen. So I want to uh, have a say farewell, and all those that have participated today, I, I'd like them to come say goodbye. And then I have a few things that I want to uh, add on as just where we're heading in the next couple of weeks.